We're in First John. We're in chapter 3. <clears throat> chapter 3 of 1 John. And just to kind of give you a heads up of what's going on, um, we've been going through the book of 1 John for, I don't know, a few months. And just to kind of let you know what's going on, uh, John, old in his age, wrote this letter many years after he wrote his gospel. He wrote his gospel earlier on. The gospel is just the story of Jesus. And this is a letter as a pastor written to some people that he cares about. Um, and one of the main points that he's wanting these people to know, which he kind of goes over and over with, is that he wants them to know that they are Christians. A lot of times, as a believer, we kind of struggle. We kind of wonder, am I a Christian? I don't know. I feel like I could be, but I feel sometimes I have doubts. Sometimes I look at my life and, man, it just doesn't feel like I am. So um, John writes this letter, and as he writes this letter, <clears throat> he's wanting them to, to see some things that will help them know that they're a Christian. This is all kind of review uh, for most of y'all. And there's three things that he really kind of covers up to this point. He's kind of covered up to this point that there's three things in your life that are going to show you that you're a Christian. One is that there should be righteousness in your life. Um, not sin, but righteousness. The other is that there should be truth in your life. You should, you should understand some level of doctrine in your life. You know, that the essential things are important. And there, was, there were people that had come into these believers and started saying um, some false things about Jesus. They were called the Gnostics. And that was the second. The other, third thing that he said should mark the life of a believer is that you should have love. Um, there should be an overflowing of love inside of you. And so over the pa- first couple chapters, he's just been... Um, systematically talking about these things, telling them how they need to be uh, these three things. And if they see these three things in their life, then they can know, as he tells us in John 5.13, these things I've written that you may know you have eternal life, that you are a Christian. Last week, um, he came to a, uh, a little parenthesis. Uh, he had talked about those three things. And as we came to this parenthesis over the last couple weeks, actually, um, all he wanted to do is just give them tons of encouragement that they are born of God, that they are children of God. And now um, we're going into a new kind of section. Um, and what he's going to do, because John is very circular in his writing, um, he's not like Paul where he just kind of picks one point and goes to the other. He, he always brings it back. He's always, he keeps doing that all the time. So what we're doing now is... Um, we're going into a series of the next sections of comparing those three tests. Righteousness, love, and truth. Um, this week is going to be righteousness. And what he's doing is he's comparing righteousness versus sin. Um, and that he's going to do that in three. We're in chapter 3, 4 through 10. The next section, um, in 11 through 18, he's going to compare love and hate. Um, and then... A following section after that, in four, he's going to do truth and error and compare those things. And then we're, we're going to keep moving on. So that's, that's what's coming is the comparison or a, a dichotomy, which is something versus something that are opposed to one another over the next few sections. So that's, that's what's going on um, in the next few weeks as we go. We're reviewing those three tests, but he's dichotomizing them, if that's a word, um, comparing them against each other. So today is righteousness versus sin. Now, here's the deal. Because we've covered this, this idea already. So this will be review for some of you. If you remember in 1.6, and those, those particular verses, he, he appeals to Christians in such a way that says, if you have sin in your life, then you need to take a step back and examine your heart and examine your life and really ask yourself, am I a believer if I have that? And I realize that that's going to be some review as we, as we go through this. However... Um, John's reviewing it, so since John's reviewing it, we know that it's an okay thing for us to do it because God wrote the Bible, so God evidently wants us to review it as well. So I know some of this is review, but there'll be some new stuff in here as, as we look at it. Um, so 
Let me, let me read the text, and then I'm going to pray, and then we'll, we'll jump in. So I'm at, at chapter 3, verse 4. Chapter 3, verse 4 through 10. It says, Everyone who makes a practice of sin also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that He appeared to take away sins, and in Him there is no sin. No one who abides in Him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning for God's seed abides in him and he cannot Keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Let's pray. Jesus, um, this text is, is weighty as we look at it and glorious and beautiful as we look at it. The gospel itself is um, exploding from these verses. And so, Lord, I, I pray that as we see the beauty of the gospel, that Christ would come and die for us, that he would be the one who came to take away sins, that he would be the one who would come to kill and destroy the works of the devil, that these truths would not land on dead hearts, these truths would not land on callous hearts, but, Lord, that you would rip a heart, rip away any... any um, hearts of stone and put in a hearts of flesh, rip away any callousness so that we can feel the full weight of what this means. That children of God have been born again to know what it means to be forgiven, to know Jesus and to know righteousness and to pursue righteousness. And Lord, that it would just amaze us. God, that it would just, it would give us desire, deep desire to want to live for Jesus. I pray that you would help me. I am in need of you desperately. Uh, I, can, I can talk here. I can teach. I can tell stories. and I can do whatever I want, Lord, um, by your grace. And, but unless you come, unless, unless your spirit is here, it's, it's all for nothing. So I pray, Lord, that you would, you would speak through my words and land on the hearts of those here. That we, would, um, that we would be moved and changed by you. We love you, God, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so as I said, John speaks in circular arguments. So I want you to see here, um, because what he does is he makes an argument in the first couple verses, in the first set three verses, and then he makes the exact same argument again. Um, so I'm going to put the verses with each other so you can actually see what he's doing. Um, go ahead and look at the screen here, and you'll see how 4 matches up with 8a. 4 says this, um, Everyone who makes a practice of lawlessness, also pra- practice of sinning, also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. And then you can see 8. Whoever makes this practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. So you can see how those two verses are sounding the same. And then he's going to do that again in 5 in the second half of 8. Here's what 5 in the second half of 8 looks like. You know that he appeared to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. So you can see how those sound the same. We're going to see that again in 6 and 9. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning, 
No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. And then 9 says, very similar sounding, No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning unless he has been born of God. And then again, the same thing with 7 and 10. All right, here it is. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. 10 says, by this is it evident who are the children of God, who are the children of, de- of the devil. Here it is, sounding very much like the second half of B. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So you can see, same argument, he just makes it two times. And so, um, as I said, the title here, or the overall idea, is righteousness versus sin. So that's, that's kind of the overall idea, uh, overall idea, and we're going to have four points as we go through it. Um, and my four points are really, really simple. Um, first, as we saw um, in 4 and 8, we're going to look at sin and try to understand what sin is and its origins. After that, we're going to discuss or talk about why Jesus came and his work regarding sin. Um, the next part we're going to look at is since he has come to destroy sin and destroy the works of the devil, that in the life of the believer, sin should be unthinkable. Sin should be impossible. In the life of the believer. And I know that's strong language, but that's the language that he uses. And then lastly, I'm going to end with a plea for us as believers, a plea for righteousness. So let's just go through and let's take a look at these, um, these four points uh, that John is asking us to look at. So verse 4 says, um, everyone who makes a practice of, sin- of sinning also practices lawlessness. Um, sin is lawlessness. And verse 8a says, whoever makes a practice of sin is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. So that's point one. That's point one. Sin and its origins. Looking at righteousness and sin. And the first point that we want to talk about is sin and its origins. Now, uh, the, the text here defines what sin is. Now, Sin is a, is a common word that, we, that we're familiar with, so for some of us it might be, might be really easy to understand. I asked JC, my, my daughter, you know, JC, what, she's six, I said, what's sin? And she said, whenever you do things that aren't, and that aren't uh, whenever you do things that God tells you not to do. And I was like, very good. So we, we, we can all have a good understanding of sin. Um, there's a little bit more to it. He defines it as, John does, sin is lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. Um, I was looking at systematic, and Wayne Grudem defines sin for us this way. This is, I think, a pretty good, uh, pretty good kind of taking John's and explaining it just a little bit more. He said, sin is any failure to conform to the moral law of God. And here it is. This is the key part. An act, an attitude, or nature. All right, so there's more than just your act. Uh, if you do good things, then you still may be sinning because your attitude behind it might still be a problem. Further, since we're all from the line of Adam, we all are born with a corrupt human nature. So our very nature, um, as, we, as we come into life, is sinful. So really, sin is the desire to have it your own way. I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it. That's sin. Now, its origin is told from us in, in verse 8. It says, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. I always wanted to say it just like that. It's of the devil. Um, for the devil has been sinned from the beginning. All right. Um, what we know, biblically, is that the devil was an angel at one time, given the, the task and the duty of all the other, just like all the other angels, of praising God. And he, in some way, um, fell. He wanted to be like God. 
He had pride in his heart. He did not want to worship and he fell. So humans still had not fallen yet. We just know that that's, that's how sin entered the world. And so he and a third of the angels were cast out of, out of heaven and have been um, here in earth and wherever, running around, roaming around with one goal. They have one goal to see created order, specifically us humans who are created in the image of God, to see us go to hell. That's their desire. They have, he has no other desire but, but to see you sin, whether he's going to make it very difficult or very easy in your life. He's going to make it as smooth as he can and keep you just oblivious of the fact that you're in sin. But he has one goal, and that's for you to go to hell. So we know that the origin of it is that after he fell, um, he went to the garden where Adam and Eve were, and he convinced them to sin. Um, they were given one thing not to do, and that's what they did. Um, they, they, were, they were told that they would become like God, and whenever they did that, um, whenever they ate of the fruit, um, they fell. And that's its origin. And since then, every person that's been born in the line of Adam has a corrupt human nature now. And so we sin, we are corrupted in our nature, and we sin in act and in attitude. Um, that's how it came from. Now, it tells us in John 8, I just want to read a few texts about the devil um, and how um, deceiving he is. There's a few texts I want you to hear um, about him. This is Jesus having a conversation with some of the people that were called Pharisees. And this is what he says in John 8 when he's talking about the devil. Um, he says, you are, he's talking to the Pharisees, he says, you are of your father the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. And now he's going to talk about the, his, their father's desires, which is the devil. He was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. This is what First Peter 8 says. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking to devour you. So the moment you wake up and you begin your day, you put on your book bag or you walk outside to the car or you look at your spouse for the first moment that day or you look at your roommates or whatever, the, the devil has one desire in that moment and that's to destroy you, roaring around like a prowling lion, waiting. And as soon as you start, he's ready to pounce on you. Um, he is pretty successful at it most of the time with people who are Christians. Um, he wants to see you be lawless. He wants to see us break God's laws, break God's heart. Um, and we will justify our behavior because instead of comparing it to God's holy law, we compare our actions and our attitudes to other people, which isn't the most healthy thing. Um, because it's easy to find people that you probably sin less than. It's easy to find people that you can sin less than. Um, so his work is to make uh, you keep on sinning, make a practice of sinning, and, and not practice righteousness. And you and I, because of sin in our life, when we sin, we willfully rebel against the Father. We willfully rebel against the Father. And so there's a verse in Psalm 19 where, where David sees the fact that there are moments that if I'm in... If I'm in God and He is my treasure and He's my Savior, um, there's moments where if I willfully rebel against the Father, that, that's not His design. That's, that's actually horrible. And so he prays a prayer in, in, in Psalm 19.13. This is what he says. Um, David says, Keep back your servant also from 
presumptuous sins. Presumptuous just means presuming, or some of your translations might say willful, um, arrogant. Just, I know that's a sin, and I'm going to do it anyway. And he says, keep me back from those. Don't let me do those things. Let them not have dominion over me. Let them not dominate who I am. Then, if that happens, then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Innocent of great transgression. So this is, this is David's prayer for, for him, himself. And I think this is a great prayer for all of us as Christians. Because as you look at your life, um, and you're going through life, you will see a pattern of sin. Now, I don't think in this, in this place right here that he is talking about Romans 7. In Romans chapter 7, verse 18, this is what Paul says. Um, he's kind of talking about our experience as Christians and when we do sin. This is what he says. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what's right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. So there's a sense in which after we come to, after we come to Christ, we do keep sinning. But I, I think there's a little bit of a difference here. Okay, I want to I draw a distinction between these two. One is Paul in Romans 7 saying, The good things I want to do, <laughs> I never get to seem to do all those things. The bad things I hate, I see myself doing those things. That's sin, as he says, working itself out in us. That's, a, that's one problem. But that's not, I don't think, what John's talking about. That is still, that person, that, that Romans 7 experience that Paul is having, is still um, kind of describing a person that hates his sin within him. And he just, he hates that there's this kind of sin working itself out in me. But there's a second person that he's talking about. As a Christian... There is this person that marches through and he sees these sins and he says, that sin right there, I don't hate it. I love it. And I can't wait to have a moment to do it. Whenever I'm alone or wherever I'm by, by myself with this person, I can, I can lash out at them or I can do... There's, there's a time where I can... When the time is right, the setting is going to get right. As a matter of fact, I'm going to do everything I can to manipulate my, my conditions and environments so, so that particular setting will happen for me so that I can, I can willfully jump headlong into that sin. There's a, there's a bit of a difference there. There's a bit of a difference. One hates sin. One maneuvers their life, patterns their life to jump into willful prolonged sin. And I believe that that's what we're talking about here. Presumptuous sin. Willful, prolonged sin. And John is telling us to make a pattern of righteousness and not make a pattern of sin. As a matter of fact, he says, Jesus came for a reason. Jesus appeared. And this is, this is massive. Jesus, Jesus appeared to show you His amazing love and destroy that work in your life. Look at verse 5 and 8. It says this, You know that He appeared to take away sins, and in Him there is no sin. And the second half of 8 says, The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. 
that desire within you to plunge headlong into willful sin is coming from the devil. It's coming from the sin and its origins, specifically from him and your desire to carry those things out. And he's saying, don't have that in your life. Don't have that in your life. So here's the work of Christ. That's in your life sometimes. Some of you, if you would just be, if you would just be honest, there's a pattern of that sometimes in your life. But you don't have to live in that. As a matter of fact, Jesus has come to destroy that. That need, that desire, that want to live in that. This is what he says. Here's, here's the second thing. This is the work of God, uh, the work of Christ regarding sin. The work of Christ. I, I just read it. He appeared to take away sins. He appeared to destroy the works of the devil. So these two verses tell us two reasons that he appeared. To take away sins, to destroy the works of the devil. How did he do this? I mean, this is, Jesus took on your sin. Jesus took on your sin. He appeared to take away sins. How did he do this? We're talking about the gospel here. We're talking about Christ appearing to take it away. Here's how he did it. We've, we've covered it already, and, and we'll just look at it in this one letter. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. This is what it says. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, when you sin, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Alright, so you're a believer and there's sin in your life. John's telling you, you don't have to sin anymore. As a matter of fact, you have an advocate. There's someone at the right hand of the Father advocating for you saying, that person right there, Father, I died for. I'm advocating for him. He's my child. He's your child. He is with us. He's advocating. And this is what he says. He is, talking about Jesus, the propitiation. I think I'm going to finally say it right. The propitiation for our sins. That is the person that is... And has borne the wrath of God. God had wrath built up towards sin. Which he had to express. It's not like sin's just going on and God's just going to say, Yeah, we can just throw that away and I just have all this built up anger. But I'm just going to kind of let it get thrown up into the sky and go away. In order to be just, in order to be righteous, he has to take that wrath and pour it out. Because he hates sin. Sin is, a, is an offense against his holiness. And so, instead of pouring it out on you and I, who deserved it completely, he pours it all out, all of his righteous anger, wave after wave, continually on Jesus. Jesus stood there between the Father and us, taking all the wrath for us. That is propitiation. That is the wrath bearer of God. That's what, it, that's what this idea is. So, Jesus appeared to take away sins because all of, of our sin was paid for whenever it was put on Jesus and he accepted all the wrath for him. Um, now, only Jesus could have done this. James Boyce says, the taking away of sins can be accomplished only by one who himself is sinless. Hence the reminder, and in verse 5, right after that, he says, you know that he appeared to take away sins. In him there is no sin. The reason why he tells you in him there is no sin is because Jesus is the only one that who could do that for us. If someone was a sinner, then they couldn't stand for us in our behalf. Because that, that would have been the punishment they deserve. So, um, what does that mean then? What does that mean? If Jesus stood for us in our behalf, 
does it just mean this? All right. Since he stood for us in our behalf, well, that's good news. Jesus bore all the wrath for us. Jesus died on the cross for us and our sins. So that means since he did that, everything's good now. I don't really have to do anything. There's not any responsibility of mine. That doesn't mean I have any work on my part. It's just Jesus died to take away sins. Awesome. That's not the end. There is something that we must do. There is something that we as people, as humans must do. Romans 10.9 tells us very, very obviously. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. In order to have the work of Christ count for you on your behalf, where he stood in front of the Father and took all the wrath of God, in order for that to be counted to you, you have to, by faith, put your, put, well, you have to put your faith, by faith, put your faith. You have to put your faith in Jesus. You have to put your faith in his work on the cross for you on your behalf, and then his righteousness is imputed or given to you, and all of your sin is imputed and given to him. You can't just say, well, that's awesome, he did that. All right, I guess that counts for me. You have to put your faith in him. You have to believe in Jesus. And when you do that, as it says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. So, this is a stopping point. But I'm not going to stop because John doesn't stop. But this is a stopping point. Um, a lot of times, a lot of times when the gospel's giving, um, you have sin. Hopefully we've all seen that. We all have sin, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I, I think we can all agree, if we look over the pattern of our week, last week that we have sin. And so here's good news. Jesus died to take away sin. I want to put my faith in him. I want to believe in that. Going to heaven sounds great. Having all of my sin taken away and all of his righteousness given to me sounds good. And so we could just stop here. I could just give an invitation. I could say, come to Jesus, put your faith in Christ, receive forgiveness. We could all go home and everything would be fine. But this is not where John stops. He doesn't stop here. He doesn't just say, Believe in Jesus, receive forgiveness, and everything's good. All this information that he's given to us is for a point. I want us all to see the point. What we've seen so far is great and glorious. We have seen the gospel, that Jesus came and died for us on our behalf. I mean, this, if we could, as I prayed, let our hearts open up to the beauty of that truth, our lives, my life, all of our hearts would be radically changed. We would live radically different than what we do if we believed the gospel all the time. But he tells us <clears throat> that all this has happened for a point. There's a reason why. So now we're talking to believers. Now we're talking specifically to Christians. Those who have put their faith in Jesus. And I want you to honestly Honestly, look at your life. And I want you to hear these words. All right. There's no excuses. John's not going to give us any room at all here. The reason why he doesn't stop is because he wants after faith for our life to look different. Not just accept the forgiveness or put your faith in Jesus and say everything's good. Look at 6 and 9. Look at 6 and 9. 6 and 9 are amazing in very, very strong words. Very strong words. No one 
who abides in him keeps on sinning. <clears throat> now, abides in him is, is the words that he's told us in 27 and 28. 27, the last words he tells us, abide in him. And, and 28, and now little children, abide in him. Two direct commandments given to you. You as a Christian now have to abide in him. And he says, if you're abiding in him, if you're walking in his statutes, if you're living a life that, that is patterned after repentance, being with Jesus, looking in the word, looking to love others, looking to live righteously, looking for truth and wanting to live, conform your life to truth. If you are abiding him, knowing not just truth, but knowing Jesus, knowing him intimately, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. Some pretty strong language. Look what he says again. No one who keeps on sinning, and let's just look at our lives here. Are we keeping on sinning after faith? I, I don't know when you became a Christian. If it was last week or last month or last year or ten years ago. But I'm betting like me, you still have sin. Look what he says. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Well, that's... that's Proving to be problematic right now. Look at 9. No one born of God, or is a child of God, makes a practice of sinning. Why? This 4 is a because. Because God's seed abides in him. And he cannot, cannot, doesn't have the ability to keep on. He cannot keep on sinning. Because he has been born of God. So the gospel has been given to us in this little circular argument for a reason. Since Christ has come to take away sins and destroy the works of the devil, it is, here's my third point, inconceivable, incomprehensible, and incompatible for sin to be in the life of the believer. The incomprehensibleness I mean, that's a long word. It took me a long time to spell check that deal. Um, incomprehensibleness and incompatibility of sin. Incomprehensible means it's unthinkable. It's absolutely unthinkable that in the life of a believer there would be sin. Incompatible just means it doesn't line up with who we are. It can't be in our life. It's unthinkable. It's impossible. Now, I've built up the weight because I want us to see something here. I know that we're all thinking, well, what are you saying, Fudd? <laughs> what are you saying? There's a couple ideas here. There's a couple ideas of what this could mean. Um, the first is that John is actually talking about the big sins. Just the big ones. Whatever you know, the big ones are. Murder. The, you can't keep on sinning doing the real big sins. You know, you can still do some of the small ones, and that's just how it works as, as a Christian. Um, I think that, I don't think it's that. I think that it's exactly what I talked about before. Um, this idea that, yes, we understand that there is, um, there is sin in our life. And, and I'm not making excuses for that, but we all live in this Romans 7 sense where we, we do things from just like, Oh, I hate that. But then there's the idea of this prolonged, willful sin. And I think that's what John's talking about us here in, in verses 6 and 9. There's a sense in where there's someone who's just arrogantly walking through life as a Christian. Um, 
I'm not sure if any of us are there. Maybe we are. Maybe we're not. I, I can't look into your soul and look and look and say, oh yeah, I see, I see the arrogant right there. I have no idea. Only we, when we lay our head on our pillow at night, know if that's us or not. But he's telling us, if there is, and, and the reason why I say that is, look at verse 4. Makes a practice of sinning. This is a practice. This is a desire to have a desire to have willful, prolonged sin in your life. And he's saying, if you have this, if you have this pattern of desperately seeking after to continue in it like you want it, I, it's unthinkable that that's in the life of a Christian. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning, as in keeps on making a practice of willful sin. No one who has <clears throat> keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. This, this no is, is a very intimate sense. It's, it's the no, the biblical no, like a, like a husband knows his wife. It's, it's talking in, in intimacy. And he's saying if you have this willful desire to continue in prolonged, wretched, horrible sin, then, then you've never seen him and you've never known him. Now, John's using really strong language. But it's, it's clearly telling us, um, I, I believe, that it's talking about willful, prolonged sin. So why does he use this, this direct language? Why does he use this really strong language to say, no one, no one, no one? Um, and the reason why I think that is because he's not letting us allow room. I think we know the depths of our depravity. We know how we can rationalize. And so he doesn't want you to allow room because we'll, we'll rationalize it out sin the point is sin has no place in the life of a believer why why does sin have no place um, the ESV study Bible says true followers of Christ do not recklessly and habitually violate what they're anointing which is um, just using the word from verses 20 and 27 the, the anointing is the Holy Spirit if you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. He's saying true Christians do not recklessly or habitually violate what their anointing has planted it within them. So this is the idea of reckless and habitual sin in your life. Not the kind of sin that just pops up once you detest it and you, you by the Spirit put it to death. That's going to be something that we live in for the rest of our life. But willful sin. Um, but there's a couple of things I want us to see here in verse 9, which is, I think, comforting. Very, very comforting. Verse 9 says, No one born of God makes a practice of sin, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning. I want to I kind of dissect God's seeds and cannot. God's seed and cannot. The reason why we cannot continually keep on walking in sin is because habitual, willful, reckless sin. And you can just look over the pattern in your life and see if that's there. The reason why you can't do that is because God's seed has been implanted into you. Um, John is saying that the very nature of God is abiding in you. The nature of God. This is the nature because it is opposed. This is a nature that is because it is opposed to sin will not let the believer rest in sin, but rather will constantly expose sin and prod us towards holiness. That's what James Boyce says. So this idea that sin can just be in your life and you can be okay with it is, is impossible. That's why he says, 
You cannot keep on sinning. Because if the very nature of God is living inside of you, He is always going to come and say, that sin right there, pushing against, that sin right there is not okay. It's not okay. And you will get to the point, like, like we all are familiar with, where we can't help but want to destroy it. We just, the idea, the, the, the unthinkableness that this is in my life, if I'm in Christ, is, is so incompatible with walking with Jesus. I need it out of here. And so I cannot. Now, here's, here's the encouraging thing. For those of you that might see yourself in a sin right now, it cannot continue in you. That's encouraging. You will, if you're a true believer, see victory over that by the grace of Jesus because it cannot. This is, a, this is what the biblical word. He cannot keep on sinning. That's scary because it means if I keep seeing it, then that's a problem. But I'm guaranteeing you, if you are truly in Christ, you will have victory over that. It cannot keep going inside of you. So there's, there's caution in that and great, great promise in that. Alright. This means that as regenerated or people that have been born of God should not persist in sin. We cannot keep on sinning. Um, we just moved to our house about a year ago. And uh, our house is a little bit different than the last one we lived in. The last one is one of those... We live on the corner. So we have like our driveway on one side and the front porch on the other instead of the driveway and front porch together. And so um, our front porch is kind of like down inside of a cave. It's like really strange. So you, you have to walk around. And so we, we decided... It's got two outside lights and so what we decided is we're just going to leave those two outside lights inside the cave because we don't want anybody just in the dark to feel free to just come up and kick our window in and, you know, whatever. So we just we leave those two outside lights on because in our mind, that totally protects us. That totally protects us. So we leave that outside light on. We never cut it on for a year, for a year. And I don't know how long we've been there. For a year at least. Those two lights have always been on side. Awesome bulbs. They've never gone out. So um, that ha- what happens is for a year, that draws things. Um, we have now, um, for, for those of you that come to our front door, I'm sorry, at nighttime especially, we have just swarms of bugs. I mean, just, just bugs galore drawn to those lights. But that also draws um, spiders um, that want to kill the bugs and frogs. So when, when things, the spiders or bugs fall to the ground, the frogs eat them. So we, it's just this you know, eco-cycle or whatever it's called. Um, down there at our house, we're just you know, letting everybody continue on in the whole circle of life. Um, but the point, of the, the point of that is this. Um, there's a point, I promise, that um, if we leave something on, it's going to draw bugs, it's going to draw spiders, it's going to draw frogs, or whatever else might come. In your life, if you leave the door open, it's going to draw that sin. If you... Guys, if you take the laptop into your bedroom at nighttime, it's going to draw the sin. Girls, if you, if you continually put yourself around those who want to talk about others, it's going to draw in the sin of wanting to talk about others. If you continually let anger um, well up in your... If you leave the door open, you're going to, you're going to walk into it. And, and, and daughters and sons... Of God, Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Jesus came to take away sin. He didn't come for you 
to leave the door open. To draw in the sin that is going to come into it. He just didn't, he didn't die for that. So, here's my last one. Here's my last, my last point here. Is a plea for righteousness. And um, this plea is directed towards me just as much as it's directed towards you. Because if we're truly in Christ, if we're truly those who have been um, appointed by God to, God to be ambassadors for Christ, to go plead with the world, to be reconciled to God, then we should have... Um, Holiness, we should have blamelessness, we should have above reproach in our life. As we go out to those people and ask them to come to Jesus, we should have a, an air of righteousness. And, and I want to be real careful as I say that because I don't mean an air of pridefulness. <laughs> we should be the most humble people in the world. But we should have a sense in which there's just a difference there in their life. They look and seem and act holy. They don't leave the doors open for, for sin to creep in. We are, as much as we can, finding those doors and slamming them shut and locking them up and saying, no, we don't want that in our life. Look at 7 and 10. Look at 7 and 10. Little children. Uh, this is Pastor John just, just being so pastorly to them, loving them, calling them little children because he cares about them so much. He's like a big dad to them. Little children, let no one deceive you. Now, he's talking about... Um, probably talking about the Gnostics who were coming along, the people there and trying to deceive them and what truth was and righteousness and saying it's okay to sin. And so he, he, that's totally applicable for us today. Don't let people deceive you. Don't let people just say, oh, it's all right to leave that door open. Um, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. We live in this, this already not yet sense. We're already... Righteous, we're already saved, but we're not yet. We're, it happens when we get there, but it's already been declared. Um, so yes, you already are righteous, and that's true. But there's still a sense in which you have to practice righteousness as well. And that practicing righteousness is not earning favor with God, but giving evidence that you are now a son or daughter. And so he's telling us, um, whoever practices righteousness is righteous. Although you already are righteous if you're in Christ, he's still telling you you've got to practice it. And look at verse 10. And um, verse 10, it doesn't give us a third option. It's just so direct. It's just so, so direct. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. I'm pleading with you to practice righteousness. I'm pleading with you not to be okay with that sin. Because if, if you're not doing that, verse 10 is saying that you're not of God, and we can just make it even feel worse. You're a child of the devil. I mean, that's just... It's just so, ugh. Oh. Nor is the one who does not love his brother. Now, I'm not expecting him to say love his brother there. He, I'm expecting whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. Um, neither is the one who keeps on sinning. I'm expecting keeps on sinning. Not practice righteousness, but if you keep on sinning, then you're not of God. Um, but, remember there's three tests. Righteousness, love, and truth. 
And the end of 10, no other is the one who loves his brother, is going to lead us into our next section, which is love and hate for next week. So I, I believe that's John just leading us in right to the next text. Um, but let's, let's finish with this, with this plea for righteousness. Um, not let anyone deceive you. Not let anyone allow you um, to rationalize or make excuses. If <clears throat> you are in sin, then the Bible is telling you, by this, verse 10, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. So if we find ourselves continuing in a pattern of sin, the Bible's telling us that we're out of the devil. It's just no middle ground here. It's just amazing how much he wants to use very strong language to make a dichotomy and say it's one or the other. Now, I just want to plead with you, wherever you are in your walk, wherever you, if you're, if you're really um, being honest with yourself and, and, and not playing games and not um, trying to put on the show and not, just, just be honest with yourself. Where are you? Where are you in your walk? If there is a pattern of sin, um, the idea is not this. You're not practicing righteousness, so too bad, you're done for. <laughs> Get out of here, too bad. That's not the idea. The idea is, he's saying all this to tell us, repent now. If, if you are right now finding yourself in a pattern of sin, and you think, maybe I am a child of the devil. I don't want to be a child of the devil. I want to be a child of God. The idea isn't just to stay over here and say, well, child of the devil, that's all I can do. It's transfer that God is saying repent put your faith in Jesus be transferred over and become a child of God it's not just to make you feel bad and stay there Psalm 19 13 I've already said it before to us Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil if we find ourselves in sin let's all pray Jesus Keep back your servant from presumptuous or willful sin. Let them not have dominion or let them not rule over me. Then I will be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Maybe that's where you are this morning. Let me just, let me read this text to you. This is describing those who have been saved by God. And as I read these verses to you, I just wanted you to ask yourself, if this is true of me, how could I not, if there's any kind of sin in my life, look at it and say, no, that's it's incomprehensible and unthinkable that that would be in my life. Listen to this. Romans, I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, here's a description of, of God's deep and abiding love for you. And as you hear this, we should all ask ourselves, if this is true, how could I still live in continual willful sin? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He's blessed you with every spiritual blessing in heaven in the spiritual places. 
even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, before anything had ever been made, God had set His unbelievably holy, perfect, beautiful, righteous affections on you, a child of God. The full weight of all of His affections had been set on you before the foundations of the world. Even as He chose us in Him before the foundations of the world, that we should be. This is how, not only did He set His affections on you, He has also called you this, that you are holy and blameless before Him. Why did He do that? These two words are they're just so beautiful. In love. He did it because of His love for you. In love, He predestined us for adoption. To, to allow us into His family. In love, He predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will. Because of His great love, He has set all of His affections on you before the foundation of the world. He did it to adopt you into His family through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will. There was no plan B. It was always plan A. Jesus on the cross to come and die for your sin, to take away all of your sin, to kill all the works of the devil, set all of His affections, all of His love on you, call you His child, adopt you into His family. For the praise of His glorious grace, which He has blessed us in the Beloved, in Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of of His grace. And if all that is true, how could we ever look at our life and see sin and think, that's okay. It's incomprehensible. It's unthinkable. If all those things are true, and they are, gloriously beautiful truths that we could ever be okay, we could ever rationalize we could ever make excuses with sin. So my challenge here is really simple, okay? It's really simple. I'm not trying to make you doubt your salvation. That's, that's not it. I'm not trying to guilt you into feeling bad. It's not my, that's not my goal. I have one goal. I just want to plead with you and myself to desire to make war on sin in our life. Christ will take care of the results from that. Let's just, as children redeemed by God, whom He has set His affections on from eternity past, not be okay with sin in our life. Willful or just a one-time deal. Let's just not be okay with it and make war on it. Let's pray the prayer of Psalm 1913. Keep back your servant from willful sin. May it not have dominion over me or, or rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. That's, if we're all just, that's the kind of people we want to be. That's who we want to be in Christ. Never okay with sin. Never making excuses. Never rationalizing. Never comparing to others. And if you don't know Jesus, He's calling you to be born again this morning. To put your faith in Him and be a child of God. So I just want to invite you to that. Wherever you are, 
if you, if you know right now, I'm not walking with Christ, I'm not a believer, then put your faith in Jesus and become a Christian. If you are walking with Jesus, and the Holy Spirit's been moving in your heart this morning, saying, don't be okay with that. I just want, I just want you to take this next song to, to think and pray. I want to make war on that sin. Or I don't want to be okay with that sin. If, if there is, and, and, I'm not, and I'm not saying, like, sit there and just make up something so that you can participate in, in, the, in the idea of repentance. If you are right now walking with Christ and it's beautiful, then, then just, just worship. Thank you, Jesus, that you have kept me back from willful sin. Thank you, Jesus, that you have not allowed sin to rule over me and dominate me. And I am innocent and blameless in your sight right now. Just Let's just worship Him because that is a great, great glorious gift of the Spirit in your life right now. I'm going to pray and, and just ask that as the Holy Spirit leads you, that you would, you would just be willing and submitted to His Spirit and that you would uh, allow Him to lead you in this time of, of repentance and a time of, of confession, this time of song, this time of worship. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that You call us to righteousness. We thank you that you would never allow us to stay where we are. You call us to faith, which is a gloriously beautiful truth. But you also desire for us to seek after righteousness in our life. And so, Lord, I, I pray for myself, God. Would you, would you please, by the power of your Spirit, reveal sin to me in my life that I'm okay with? And God, grant me the ability to make war on it. Where there, wherever there is willful, dis, willful disobedience, may I not be okay with it. And Lord, I pray for my friends here, if, if that is true for any of us here, that we would, we would agree in our spirit and desire for that not to be the case. Be with us now as we sing a song of confession, a song of repentance, and as we turn to your great, great gospel and sing out worship to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name.